You're listening to teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. Good morning, church. Thank you, worship team. I agree with Katrina. Uh, we don't always have the vocabulary. How do we talk about our great God? We use the words that we have, uh, the words that God's given us even in his scriptures. And yet, it's not just about what we say, but it's about our heart. Where's our heart this morning? Um, is, is that devotion pouring out of us out of a sense of gratitude, even as we took communion together and remembered the sacrifice of Christ? Out of gratitude, are we singing about the greatness of God? So the word doesn't matter as much as where it's coming from. So I'm thankful that we could sing this morning. And I, I don't know about you as part of God's family, uh, even if you're visiting us this morning and you're, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and uh, as part of God's family, we, we share life together as the church. We celebrate together. We mourn together. We... Um, I think, um, I've, I've experienced, you, you feel when there's a sense of hopefulness, expectation, the, the room is light and we can kind of walk in here and everyone's got coffee and everything's good and, uh, and then there's days when you walk in and it just feels a little low, right? It feels a little, we're all tired or a little bit beat down or maybe there's just this stagnation, this listlessness or something. Um, and maybe that's not you this morning, but as a whole, as our body, I'm feeling that this morning. There's this, there's this kind of dragging feeling. There's a, there's a lowness. Um, and that's okay. Sometimes that happens, and we still worship the Lord anyway, right? If we only worship him when things are going well and we feel great about everything, then we probably wouldn't worship that often. But this is a difficult world we live in. It's fallen. There's difficult things happening around us. Um, those are the realities of life, and yet we praise him anyway because he is good. And we've been learning about that in our study in Exodus, who this great God is. So I'm going to pray for us and ask the Holy Spirit to speak and to, to encourage us to lift us up this morning especially those of us who've walked in a little, a little bit heavy. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are in heaven. You're the maker of all things. You're the creator of God. You're majestic. You are the king of the universe. You're all-powerful, all-knowing. You're present everywhere. You are the eternal God. You, you inhabit eternity. You're the self-existent one, the great I am. You, you don't have a beginning. You won't have an end. You are perfect in every way, Lord. You are holy. You are other. You are separate. We, we, we can't understand your ways because they're just too high for us. Your thoughts because they're, they're just too big, Lord. You're, you're amazing. And yet, Lord, even, even in your majesty and your holiness and your, and your complete manifold perfection in every way, Lord, as you, as you come, your, your, your presence to your people, Lord, you bring your presence, you bring your love through your son, Jesus Christ. You, you sent him to die on a cross for us fallen man who rebelled against you, who became an enemy, who, who sinned against you in every way. And yet, Lord, you loved us, and you pursued us, and you sent your Son to die for us. And by his blood, we have been forgiven of our sins. And if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are saved, and we have fellowship with you again. All of the righteousness of Jesus have been placed in our account, and he's taken all of our sins upon himself, Lord, and we are made justified before a holy God. And you desire to dwell with your people so much so that you gave us your Holy Spirit that indwell, he, he indwells us. Thank you, Holy Spirit. 
that you are our comfort and our guide and our, you're our help, our encourager. You, you convict us. You, you give us the fruit that can only come by you, Holy Spirit, to live this life well, to be your people. We can't be your people on our own strength, Lord. It's only by your, by your Spirit. So thank you, Lord, for all the gifts you've given us. Thank you that we are a people, that we are a church, that we are your bride, that you have chosen us and you've called us and you've saved us, you've justified us, and you're now sanctifying us, Lord, and someday we will be glorified before you all because of what you have done. So, Lord, we're here today as your people to, to celebrate that, to worship you, but also, Lord, we, we need you. And every hour, as we sang, we need you. Uh, there's a heaviness in many of our hearts as we walk in this place. We need you in every area of our life, Lord. Help us not to s- separate our lives and to live one way during the week and then come to church and try to live a different way, Lord. That's not what you've called us to. There's no life in that. There's no hope in that. So we ask for you, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us now through the ministry of your word. Teach us your truth. Sanctify us. Transform our minds. Help us to see who you are who we are in light of you, Lord, and how we are to live. And Father, we want to also pray for our sister Vera Marchbank, one of the matriarchs of this, of this body. Father, her health is waning, and, and Lord, many of us are heavy because of that as well. And we, we ask right now you would, you would help our sister with her body. You would give her strength today. Allow her to have the vigor that is normal in Vera's life, Lord, to come back to her. Father, we, we entrust our sister to you. We know that you love her more than any of us do. And, and so, Lord, we, uh, we thank you for her and ask that you would just bless her today abundantly and bless her family. And thank you for our family here. Help us today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Exodus chapter 19. So we've been walking through uh, the story of God and of God's people in the book of Exodus. And we saw at the very beginning that God's people were in slavery. They were in bitter, harsh bondage in Egypt. So they were slaves to Egypt, slaves to Pharaoh uh, for over 400 years. And these are God's promised people. Remember Abraham's, the covenant that God made with Abraham, that he would make him into a great nation, that all nations would be blessed through him. That's, that's culminating in the person of Christ. But he, he also would, um, would, would bless them. He would make them grow in number. He would give them a land that would be their own. So God made all these promises to Abraham back in Genesis. And, and God remembers his covenant, but he also said as part of that covenant, you will be sojourners in a foreign land. You will be, you'll be held captive for 400 years, but I'm going to come and I'm going I'm to judge that nation and I'm going to remove you. I'm going to save you from that slavery. And I'm going to give you great possession as you go and I'm going to take you to this land that is good and I will be your God and you will be my people. And this amazing promise that he gave to Abraham. So the Abrahamic covenant is in place and being unfolded before our eyes. And, and we saw the Exodus chapter, uh, the end of Exodus chapter two, we see God remembering his covenant. So I'm just going to read a, a few sections here in chapter two and three, just to remind us. And it gets us to where we're at in chapter 19. So during those, uh, uh, Exodus two twenty three, during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. So they're in slavery, they're in bitter bondage, they cannot save themselves. And so they cried out for help. It's a, it's a very similar story to ours. It's a, this is all foreshadowing Jesus Christ. And so we were in slavery to sin, we were in bondage, we were in darkness, we were enemies of God, and God made us aware of our sin, we cried out for help, Jesus saved us from our sins, he was our deliverer. And so for Israel, God is sending a deliverer in Moses. 
It says, their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. He intimately cares about his people. He allowed this to happen for a purpose. And remember, when, when we see things that are happening in scripture that seem unfair or why did you allow your people, if these are your people and you care about them, you made a covenant, why 400 years? That was part of his original covenant plan was that they would be in this place for this time. And we can't ask God all those questions. He, he, he reveals what he wants to in scripture. We, we can say, Lord, why? But ultimately, we just have to worship because he's a God that's, that's higher than we are. We can't fully understand an eternal God. Sometimes we expect to. So God allowed them in slavery. And ultimately, we saw later that it was all for his glory, that he would bring judgment on Egypt and all the gods of Egypt for his glory. And we might say that's a little bit self-serving, isn't it? Well, yeah, and God's worthy of all the glory. We are, we are not. We talked about his divine attributes. We looked at the doctrine of God, that he's morally perfect in every way, that everything he does, his grace, his mercy, it's divine grace, it's divine mercy, it's perfect, it's holy. And his justice and his wrath are divine. They are holy, they are perfect. So everything he does is good because he is good. And so we, we have to understand that as we walk through this. And we saw him bringing glory to himself by judging Egypt and judging Pharaoh. And so God met Moses, his deliverer, after this cry of his people on the mountain of God, right? In chapter 3, Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. And God appeared to him in the burning bush. And, and um, Moses began to have an interaction with God and said, Do not come near. Take off your sandals off your feet, for the place which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father. This is verse 6 in chapter 3. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And God said, uh, then the Lord said, I will surely, uh, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. This is key. God said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. So God's saying, I'm going to be with you. And just so you know who I am, this is what's going to happen at the end. If, if all the other evidence isn't good enough for you, Moses, it says, When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And so we, we come back to chapter 19, and um, some of you are um, relieved that I'm not going to go all the way back and read the whole thing all over again. We've, we're almost halfway through. Come on, right? Um, we're, we're at chapter 19 now, and we've seen God along the way. Uh, we've seen him save his people. He saved them from his own wrath by providing a lamb, the blood of a lamb, so that God's wrath would pass over so that none of the firstborn of Israel would, would, would perish in the 10th plague, but all of the Egyptian firstborn did. God had provided for them. And then the Egyptians sent them out as a result of this last plague after, after 10 terrible plagues, which destroyed this entire country, their economy, even their families. And this is a holy God with holy justice against an evil nation. 
he brought them out and he brought them to a place where their backs were against the sea and Pharaoh decided to change his mind and he came after them with his, everything he had, all, all the special forces chariots, right? The special chariots, all the best men that he had, he, he sent them after and now the people's backs against them and God said, don't, do not fear, right? Just, just stand and watch what I'm going to do. Let's see the salvation of the Lord. And he parts the Red Sea and allows them to walk through on dry ground. And all that, all that happened because God chose to make that happen, because God did that work. The people didn't do anything. So the salvation came by God alone, and all they had to do was have faith. Right? Similar story to today. It's by grace we've been saved, through faith. And it's not in ourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. None of us can earn our salvation. Only God can do that. And so we, by faith, um, we believe in Christ, and by doing so, we're saved, the Bible says. <clears throat> and so God brought them through, and he provided salvation for them, brought them from death to life. And now he's taking them through the desert, and he is sanctifying them as he takes them to the promised land. Once again, that's the, the storylines just line up really well with us. This is a foreshadowing of what's to come and what we experience now. Christ is our deliverer. He has saved us. We've crossed over from death to life by faith in him. And now we're wandering in this world. We're sojourners. We're not home yet, right? We're on our way. And as we go, there's opposition and there's, there's all this sin, this residual flesh, this worldliness that God is pulling out of us because he wants to, he, he wants to make us his people, even as we are already his people. We are positionally holy, but practically we're still working on it. And so we're being sanctified in this world. And so there's difficulties that will come. A good father is going to allow things to take place. He's going to discipline his children. And this is all, this is all in Scripture. And so we're walking in this world, and the, the Israelites are walking through, and they have to trust him. And the first, you know, the first sign of grumbling is because their stomachs are hungry. Right? And God provides them manna from heaven. He provides them this miraculous bread that shows up every day at a certain time. He says, go collect it because it's not going to be there. Um, you know, later in the day, it's going to melt off and just collect enough for today. Otherwise, it's going to rot. And he was just showing them how to abide with him, how to walk with him, how to be with him, how to be his people, how to trust in him. Remember, these are lifelong slaves. They don't, they don't know this God yet in this way. And so he's being really gracious and patient, even with their grumbling. The other thing, though, is he's, he's trying to pull out and expose their other craving, because they're having this miraculous bread and it supposedly looks like it's going to be good and tastes good and it's, no one else has ever had it before in the history of the world. No one else ever will. This is just for the Israelites. This is just for the desert. And he, and he provides for them and yet they grumble even more. And it's because they're craving something else. They just want what they want, right? They're like a petulant child. Nothing is ever good enough. And God is trying to remove that from them, teach them how to be holy, teach them how to be content, how to practice patience. And so he provides for them Manna from heaven. He provides water from a rock. He provides rest for them. This is unheard of in this, in this ancient culture. There's no rest. You just keep working, right? And this is different from, from all the other world religions. And this is different from all the other cults. There's always, it's always based on works. You have to work your way. You have to provide for yourself. You have to keep moving forward. Otherwise, you'll lag behind and you'll be missing something. And in God's economy, that's not the case. We are to rest in him. He wants us to rely on him. Our salvation has been secured in Christ. Now, there is a sanctification process that is a partnership, right? We are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. So I'm just giving you a review of everything we've talked about here. Even though God's the one working in us, both to work and to will, so he's the one doing this work in us, but we are, we're also to be doing some of the work, giving ourselves to him, submitting to the Holy Spirit, reading his word. And so being sanctified, being transformed by the truth of God's word. 
And so God's people are walking through this and they're learning about who this God is. And then he gave them victory in battle. This, this first uh, nation was coming against them in battle and God gave them victory supernaturally. And every time Moses held up his hand, they would, have, they, they would start to take the ground. And every time he put down his hand, the, the, the enemy would start to overcome Israel. And so Moses had to keep his hands up and he had Aaron and Hur next to him holding his hands up. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. He gives victory in battle, but it's based on his strength, not our own. These are all principles that we know of, but do we live in light of them? And so uh, last week, Scott talked about uh, how he provides servant leadership, just wisdom and how we govern and how we live as a body here. And, and he talked about the eldership a little bit and just that it's a shared work and just some great wisdom that Scott provided from chapter 18. And now we're here in chapter 19. And um, some might look at chapter 20 as being kind of the pivotal points um, in Exodus at this point, which is the law, the Ten Commandments. And we're going to get to that. But chapter 19 is kind of a preamble to that. It's, it's actually just as important. Some believe it's kind of the heart of the Old Testament, this chapter. So we're just going to look at the first nine verses. So remember, the people have come out. They have seen God work. They've watched him provide in every way. Okay, with food and with rest, with, with himself, he provides himself, provides victory in battle. He's providing leadership. God is providing in every way. And then chapter 19, verses 1, we'll just read the first nine chapters as we're continuing on in this story. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day came into, uh, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. So this is the mountain. We, we see later it's Mount Sinai. It's Mount Horeb. It's the, it's the place where God originally visited with Moses in the burning bush. This is the mountain of God. It's the same place. And what did God say in chapter 3? You're going to know that, that I'm the one who's sending you. When we come back to this mountain, you're going to serve me on this mountain. So God has kept another promise. He's brought them back to this mountain to himself, and they will serve him there. While Moses went up to God, verse 3, the Lord called, out to, uh, called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. We'll pause there for a second. So what we have here, you, you might see some repetition taking place. Why are there all these specifics? Why do you mention Sinai twice? Um, this is really the, the beginning of the Mosaic covenant. God is, God is making a covenant with his people. Now, the Abrahamic covenant was already established. It's still in place. God is still working through that. As the covenant unfolds, God is getting more specific here. He's teaching his people how to be a people with the law. And so he is putting conditions now on this relationship because he wants to have an intimate relationship with his people, but he's a holy God and they are sinful people. And so he has to put into place the law so that they will know how to please him, how to walk with him, how to be his people in the world. Remember, they, they are to be a light to the nations, a blessing to those around them. They can only do that if they represent God. And so this is kind of the beginning of a contract. Those of you who um, love contracts, love sitting in attorney's offices and, and, and going through you know, 20, 30, 40 pages of things that you really don't understand. You're just looking for that little sign me note, sticky note, right? You're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I, I'm paying you enough. I guess I'll trust you, right? And so this is kind of the beginning of a contract, of a covenant with his people. And so there's, there's, a, there's a date, the third new moon, three months after the people have come out of Israel. There, there's a location, there's an address, right? They came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Ephedim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness before the mountain of God. So they've come before the Lord 
And the Lord called, out to, um, called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. This is, there's a lot of formality here in this beginning, in this opening part of the covenant. This house of Jacob, this, this, uh, the people of Israel. And so there's, you know when you're in trouble, typically your, your parents use your full name, right? There's a formality in there. Now, that's not necessarily in trouble at this point, but on any legal document, you don't use your, uh, your nickname or whatever, you use your formal name. And so this is their formal name. And so we see God um, setting the stage here for a covenant with his people. Now, a covenant is just, it's a promise between two parties. And the people of Israel, this, this ancient culture would understand covenants, right? Um, Usually there'd be be covenant between two equal parties, but oftentimes there were covenants between kings and subjects as well. And the title of this sermon is A Holy Nation. God is making them into a nation for himself, a treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, as we'll see. And so to make them into a holy nation, he's making a covenant with them, and he is to be their king, and they are to be his people. And typically a king would... provide um, protection as part of their side of the deal. The king would say, yeah, you can be part of our kingdom. You can be um, with our people or you can be my people, but I'll provide protection. I'll, I'll, I'll give you whatever provision you need, but you need to give me loyalty, right? The subjects need to be loyal to the king and follow all of the king's precepts, right? All the king's laws. If you want to live as part of my people in my land, you need to follow the laws of the land. And if you don't, if you break this covenant, then there's consequences, Everybody typically understands that. And so God is doing the same thing here. He has called his people. He has chosen this people. He's called these people. He's, he's made a promise to them that's unconditional through, through Abraham. Right? There wasn't anything that they had to do to become his people. They didn't have to do anything to be saved from Egypt. They didn't have to, they're, not trying, they're not earning their way to the promised land. But instead, um, there is conditions on how they are to live as his people. In light of all that God has done, in light of who he is, this is how they are to live. And so we understand that from a covenant perspective. And many of us, I think, understand that. I think current um, types of covenants that we would understand are the covenant of marriage, right? Vows are exchanged. Promises are made. Witnesses are present. We, We make our covenant before God and before man. We make promises to one another. And those promises last until we part in death. That's a pretty strong covenant. And we know that marriage is a spiritual union. We become one flesh. And yet, it's one of those covenants that has really fallen by the wayside culturally. And unfortunately, in the church as well. The church doesn't look any better than the world around us when it comes to marriage. Because a covenant, typically, unless your vows are really specific, you don't usually put in there, I promise to do all these things unless I don't feel like it anymore. Right? That wouldn't be a great ceremony. There wouldn't be much rice flying in the air after that. I, I promise to, to do all these things and to be with you, and we're so happy right now, and everything's great, and we all we look good and all this stuff. But as, as soon as you start to not look good, as soon as you start to not like me very much, as soon as I get kind of tired or I fall out of love or you turn my TV off too many times or you touch that thermostat one more time, as soon as you do those things, then, then I'm done. Otherwise, till death do us part, right? You may, you may kiss your bride, and hopefully she's run out of the building by then. Or, but that's, that's, that's how we treat covenants on the back. We're, we're, we're great on the front end of those things, but on the back end, we're not quite there yet. And we've lost that when it comes to just handshakes, right? A lot of times it was your, your bond was your word. You shake someone's hand. You look in the eye. You, you make a commitment. And that, that, that's kind of, well, we're not allowed to shake hands anyway. We have to elbow bumps aren't as secure as the old handshake. 
But even before that, even before COVID, we just, there's a sense of, there's a lack of commitment. Or if we commit to something, it's only if we really understand all the details and we interpret it the way we want to interpret it and we, everything goes the way we want it to go. That's not, there's no commitment there at all. It's not a true covenant. God's making a covenant. He's putting demands on his people and he's serious about them because he's a holy God and he desires for his people to be holy. And so sometimes I think people, they think of God and they think Christianity is just a set of rules and they're all restrictive. And God is, God is a God of a free people. He's freed us in Christ. He doesn't want us to be slaves to sin anymore. And yet we keep walking back into the current of the world and wanting to do our own thing. And there's nothing good there. Instead, he wants us to be slaves to righteousness, to belong to him and to live a righteous life because there's so much, there's so much joy in it. There's so much pleasure and joy in walking with our God. He gives us all that he has. We, we are his inheritance. We, have, we are citizens of heaven now. We get to be with him forever. And yet sometimes we settle for the scraps on the floor instead of the meal that he's laid out for us. I, I have this picture often of God's people. I don't know why. It just comes consistently for me of God providing this banquet. And we see that as, as a picture of what it's going to look like for us when Christ returns and just the fellowship and the sharing this meal with, with this, just this banquet table and all this great food and all this. And, and God has prepared it for us and he's prepared a seat for us and he, he knows us by name and, and he's calling us out and he's like, Mike, here's your seat. Here's your, Mike, we're, and I'm under the t- table looking for crumbs. And there's a, there's a nice big ribeye right there. Perfectly done, of course, right? Garlic butter and all. Yeah, I can't have butter right now. I'm on some crazy diet. So maybe that's why I'm thinking about this more often. But I'm literally eating the scraps because I can't have anything else. But as God's people, we do this. We, we have this amazing feast that God has given us. We have God's truth, his word that we are to be consuming, that feeds us, that nourishes us. And yet we go to the television, we go to pundits and newscasts, and we go to news feeds, and we go to social media, and we try to feed ourselves with all this stuff, and we just leave feeling sick all the time. We're just grabbing stuff off the floor, and we don't have to. God has promised us so much more. And so this covenant, God is is demanding things for the good of his people and for his glory. It's good. And when God asks us and calls us and commands us in Scripture to live a certain way to be his people, it's not to restrict us in some way that's harmful. It's, it's to protect us. It's to love us. It's for our good. And we fight against him, and he knows that, and he is gracious in that. And so this is the covenant. This is the beginning of the covenant as God is um, expressing to uh, his people. Verse 4 as part of the covenant, God is identifying himself, right? There's different parties involved. We're all signing the papers. Got to have that notary there, make sure the signatures are all good. And he says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. So you yourselves, you, you've seen all of this. You know who I am. You've watched all this with your own eyes, right? He's reminding them how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Amazing picture. And we see this in other parts of scripture, this idea of eagle's wings, there's something about the protection of, of the eagle and the eaglets, and there's something about the power and the strength to soar without, without fainting in Isaiah 40, right? And God had really brought them through all of these things. He, he saved them through the Red Sea, and he's brought them through all these other obstacles and issues and even their own grumbling hearts. He's brought them through that. He's allowed them to kind of soar over. God has brought 
the people to himself. And can, I mean, that's, that's amazing right there. And brought you to myself. He brought them to this mountain, to himself. He is a personal God who wants to dwell with his people. He didn't just save them from slavery. He didn't just save them from Egypt. He brought them to freedom. He brought them to himself. And this is what God does for us in Christ. He doesn't just save us from our sins and then we can just walk on and do whatever we want. He saves us to himself. We have been crucified with Christ and now we no longer live, but Christ lives in us, Paul says in Galatians. And the life we live now in the body, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. There's a, there's a spiritual union that takes place, right? And the Holy Spirit indwells us. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is with us and he's brought us to himself. He's reconciled us to himself. It's amazing. And that's what he's done with his people. It says, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. So these are the conditions. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. So we see God providing the conditions. You need to obey my voice. You need to obey my laws, my commands. You need to keep my covenant. Notice how God does this. Um, he hasn't given the law yet, right? The law was not required them, for them to be his people and to be saved from Egypt. He didn't put that on them first and say, okay, Moses, I want you to go out and here, here's, here's, the, here's the book, right? I want you to pass this around and anyone who's able to keep this, then I'll bring through the Red Sea. But anyone who's not, they're, they're done, right? They're on. No, he didn't do that. The law came after. You see, though, the God's still asking for commitment before the details are given. How many of you would sign, I mean, maybe we do, but how many of us would typically sign a contract without looking at all the details first to make sure everything is set, right? We just ask, well, no, you should trust. What, what is, unfortunately, in the last couple of years, or maybe it's been a lot longer than that, but uh, our, our Congress in the United States of America, they, they have a tendency to, one house will introduce a bill, right? And they'll just pass it along and say, yeah, you should vote on this. And then we should sign it. We can read what's in it later, right? Have you heard that before? We've, we've seen that. Because they, they make it like a thousand pages. No one's going to want to read that. But, but they, they make it burdensome. And they say, no, 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 it's all good. Trust us. We'll just, just sign it. And then we'll read it later. Um, with, 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 the, with the Congress, we, that's not a good idea. We don't want to do that. With God, though, God's essentially saying, sign it. And I'll give you the details after the fact, right? He wants a commitment. He wants them to obey his voice and keep his covenant. But he hasn't given them the full law yet. The law is coming here in Exodus 20 and forward even in Leviticus. So he'll give them the Ten Commandments, the foundation of the law, and then how to apply those in all areas of life. But he hasn't done that yet. And so God is essentially saying, you know, I, I've, I've made myself known to you. You know who I am. I'm my own witness for this signing. I'm my own notary, right? God's got his own stamp. He, he can sign a signature and say, yep, that's me. Why? Because I brought you out of Egypt. I did, all, I did all these amazing things for you. And I told you I would bring you back to this mountain to serve me, to worship me, that you, know, you would know that it is me who is calling you. He's given his proof of ID. And he's telling his people, this is, this is the deal. This is the condition. This is who I am. This is who God is saying, this is who I am. And now this is who you are to be. And this is how you are to live. So we've seen everything that God has, has done. And what does God, how does God see his people? How, how does he want his people to live? You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. 
for all the earth is mine. A treasured possession. This is, God is giving them their identity. They've been slaves. They have been beaten. They have been thrown away for 400 years. And he's saying, no, you're, this, you're my treasured possession. Think of the, they, they would think of the king's treasury, the king's private stash, if you will, all the good stuff, right? All the earth is the Lord's, he says. And yet in all the earth and everything that is created, and these people, his people, are his treasured possession. It's his, they're, they're his special people. He loves them. He, 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 he keeps them kind of in a secret place, right? Close to him, a treasured possession. We skip over these words, but if you think about it, it's incredible. And we, we belong to God. We, we are his people. Once we were not a people, but now we are a people. We belong to, we are his chosen people. We are his treasured possession as believers in Christ. We are his family. We are the bride of Christ. And so if you think, if you walk around thinking, oh, I'm not good enough. No one can really love me. I'm not tall enough or fast enough or strong enough. And I'm, not, I'm just not good enough. And I, I have nothing to, uh, you're, you're right. None of, we, we are not able to achieve anything on our own. But because of Christ, we have everything. In our sin, we were in darkness. We were enemies of God. But now we live in the, the light of Christ, and we have everything. And so when you say you're not good enough, and I'm not smart enough, and I'm not, God looks at you and sees his son, the righteousness of Christ in your life, and he says, you, you're amazing. You're my treasured possession. I love you so much. I can't even, have you ever, I mean, if, if you've, if you've had children or nieces and nephews or have been around, you know, a family member and they've had a newborn or you've had some young kids, just the preciousness of the kids. They say, oh, they're so precious. And you, people say they want to eat them up and all this, right? Whatever they say. It's because they're just, they, they can't express how amazing this little child is and how much they want to just hug them. They don't want to hurt them, but they want to hug them so much. And there's something about that. There's a preciousness. There's a treasure there. There's something to be protected and you carry them gently and you, you hold them a certain way and you talk to them a certain way and you, you provide for them. Every time they cry or make a noise, you're right on it, right? You're, there's something about that that is, that is in, that's, that's, the, that's a father's love. That's a mother's love. That's a parent's love. That's a familial love. And we have a heavenly father who, who sees us this way through Christ. We are treasured possession. So every time you say, I'm, just, I'm not smart enough, and, and God says, I, I, I gave you the brain that you have. I, I gave you everything you need. You're my treasure. You're my, you're my son. You're my daughter. I've adopted you into my family. You belong to me. You have the inheritance that I will provide for you. We have to remember this. Satan will lie to us all the time that we are nothing. And God says we are everything to him through Christ. He sacrificed his own son for you. Jesus, fully God, fully man, came to earth. He was tortured and crucified, hung on a cross, and he bled to take away your sins so that you can be with God forever. That's, that's a love that we just don't understand. We are a treasured possession. The king of the universe has loved you that much. The earth is his, and he's chosen us. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. He says we, we, his people will be a kingdom of priests. Now, the Levites were to be the actual priesthood um, once they make it to the promised land. The, the tribe of Levi would, would be the priesthood, and they would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. They would intercede, right? They would take care of the tabernacle. They would do those things. But God wants his whole kingdom to be priests, meaning he wants such a close relationship to God that they would always be serving him, ministering to him, worshiping him, right? Interceding for others in their community, in their nation, interceding for the world around them, being a light to the world. He, he wants such a closeness that they would all be priests. And aren't we all ministers as well of the gospel of Jesus Christ? First Peter 
um, really helps highlight this for us. Peter draws on the same imagery and these same words. First Peter chapter two. And remember, God is, is telling his people that you, this is who I am. I'm a holy God. This is what I've done for you. This is who you are now because of me. And here's how you are to live as he gives them the law. And we'll talk about the law coming up here in a couple of weeks. This is how you are to live. And it's not burdensome. It's, it's for your good. First Peter chapter two. It's always hard for me to start somewhere in, a, in one of these letters because it's all good and it all flows together. Um, we'll start in verse four. As you come to him, a living stone rejected, Jesus, by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So we see all that God has done. He's provided a living hope for his people, especially those who are in the diaspora who are exiles and spread around. And there's obviously obstacles and persecution taking place. Peter's giving them hope. You yourselves, like living stones, are being up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, similar verbiage, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That's Jesus. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And here's Peter's charge to us, uh, defining who we are um, in light of Old Testament verbiage as well. But you are a chosen race, talking about us as God's people, the church. You're a chosen race. God chose us. He loved us from the beginning of time, before the foundations of the world. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is really the, the, the new covenant, the covenant of blood through Jesus Christ that we just celebrated with communion. If we belong to him, if we put our faith in Jesus, he's not only just our savior, he's our Lord. And he has something for us to do. And just as Israel will receive the law, which is a lot of stuff, but this is how they are to live as holy people, as a holy nation, just as they will receive the law, we've received commandments from Jesus. We're to live a certain way, right? We see this in uh, Matthew chapter 22. We also see it in Mark, but the great commandment for us. The great commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then Mark, he adds, with all your strength. We're, we're to love God with everything that we are, right? This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. All of the law that's about to be given, hang on these, on these two. To love God and to love people to love God with everything that we are, and to love our neighbor as ourself. How do we love our neighbor as ourself? How do you take care of yourself, right? We're pretty good at that. We're pretty good at taking care of ourselves. I'm hungry. I'm cold, right? I need this. I need that. I need, I need, I need to get some rest. I need to be encouraged. I, I need to be entertained. I, we, we take care of ourselves in a number of ways. We're to go and love our neighbor as ourself. We're to go and provide them what they need and to think of others more highly than ourselves. We're to live a different way. This is how we are to live as God's people. And there's, there's, there's too much for me to go through here, but part of the problem is we, we want to be this holy nation, right? We want to be this, this chosen people, as uh, says in Peter, First Peter. 
this chosen race, this royal priesthood, holy nation, and people for his own possession. We want to, we, we like that. We like those terminology. We, we like it. We don't maybe understand it fully, but we like it. We think that's really, it, it, it distinguishes us. We are a royal priesthood. There's something good about those things. There's something separate about those things, holy, obviously. But what's our role here? What are we supposed to do with it? How do we serve God? How do we, how do we give sacrifices to God, spiritual sacrifices? That you may, he qualifies this, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're supposed to proclaim all these things, share the gospel. We are ministers of reconciliation in the world. People have, have a need. They are in darkness. The consequences of sin, the... The wages of sin is death, and they can't save themselves. And so we bring the light of Christ to them. We say, Jesus died for your sins. Here is, here is the way. There's, there's no other way. There's only one God and only one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. Only God, only Jesus can mediate this. Only he can save. And so this is part of our role. And he goes on and he talks about how we are to live as people who are free and we are to live as servants of God, honoring everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. There's all these things that we are to be doing now as the people of God out of this sense of joy, but not on our own strength and his, because we have the Holy Spirit of God. We're to live differently and we don't. We try to live the Christian life on our own strength. We try to live the Christian life on our own power, in our own way, in our own timing, and it doesn't work. And so we live frustrated lives as believers. We are tired, right? We're dragging a lot. We're frustrated with the world around us. We're, we're so focused on everything out there, we forget that we're supposed to be in here first, receiving from the Lord, learning about who he is, who are we in Christ, how are we to live, receiving nourishment and encouragement from the Holy Spirit through the living word of God, and then we have what we need to go out, and then we proclaim the excellencies of Christ, right? How he brought us from darkness to light, and we talk about this with people because people need to hear this. And if they reject us, that's, that's, not, that's not on us. That's not our responsibility. That's, they're rejecting Christ, not us, because it's his message, not ours. He's giving us the word to speak. We always say, I don't know if I have the right words. You have all the words you need right here. You just need to learn them, hide them in your heart and in your mind. And we have everything we need. And I, I, I literally, once again, just filled this up with tabs that I can't, because there's too many passages to go to. There's, there's too many things. In, in Romans 12, right? So after 11 chapters of this is who we are, we're, we're chosen, we're called, we're saved, we're justified, we're being sanctified, we're adopted as son, sons and daughters, we're, we're all these things. This is what God has done. This is all the things that God has done. This is who God is, right? And this is who we are in light of that. All, these, all the good news. And in chapter 12, Paul then tells us, well, this is how we're supposed to live as ministers of the gospel, he said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, in chapter 12, by the mercies of God, in view of all the mercies of God, in view of everything I just shared with you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. He's given us specifics here. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you, do you want to know God's will for your life? Everyone talks about that. It's, it's right here. It's Christ-likeness, ultimately. And he talks about the church and having many members and one body in Christ. And then he talks about the mark of a true Christian. He says in verse, in, uh, verse 9, let love be genuine. Do you genuinely love people? Isn't that what Jesus' new command that he gave his disciples to love one another? Do you know what that means? It doesn't mean you love people just because you feel like it that day. It's because you're called to love them sacrificially. We're called to love, 
love our family, our spouse, our children. We're called to love our neighbor, and we're called to love our enemies as well. Go and read Matthew chapter 5 through 7, the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, and God will, he will show you how you are to live now in this kingdom ethic, right? We are kingdom people now, and God is our king, and we are his subjects, and we are loyal to him, and he's provided a means for us to live together. If you want to live in my kingdom, if you want to be my people, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. These are his, these are his rules for living, but they're good for us. There's joy in that. Instead, we try to live like the world, but still go to church and still, and, and we, we're just confused and we're frustrated and then we blame God and we blame other Christians and, and instead our love should be genuine. How do we get genuine love? By the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We don't grieve the Spirit. Instead, we are filled with the Holy Spirit continually as we read his word, as we pray, as we ask for more of him. He gives us love for other people. Your enemy, as soon as you start praying for that person, suddenly you have compassion on them. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit giving you that. Now I can, I can, why do I all of a sudden kind of love that person? Why am I feeling bad for that person? Well, because God's helping you with that. You can't do it on your own. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Don't play around with evil things. Don't say, well, that's sort of evil, but I'm okay with it, and this is okay. No, it's evil. Abhor what it is. How do you abhor what's evil? You learn God's heart by being in his word, and you, you become sick to your stomach when you see the things that make God sick to his stomach figuratively, right? The things that are evil, we abhor those things. We don't want to be part of those things anymore. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Do you really do that? Or do you just say that you do? I'm, I'm just so, I know I'm going a little bit long here, but I'm okay with that at the moment. Um, there's, 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 this, this, there's this thing happening in churches where people are just kind of bouncing around, going wherever they, they feel um, Things are, are lined up for them. So if, if they have the right things to serve them or have the right things. Now, serving people and serving families, that's what we do. We serve one another. That's good. But if you're just shopping and you're looking at a checklist, that's not the people of God. You're not looking for what God has done. Christ has died so that we could be a family, to love one another with a brotherly affection, with a familiar affection, not just if you do something for me, then maybe I'll do something for you. That's the world. That's not the church. And as soon as someone says something we don't like, we're out of here. Well, how does that work? We're supposed to be, I can, I can disagree with you, can I, but still love you? We can have a conversation, but still love one another. We have no idea of covenant. We have no idea of commitment anymore. We bounce around looking for what makes us feel good for the moment. If we don't like it, we, we leave and we go to the next place and we do the same thing over and over. All we do is harm ourselves because we're doing it in our own power, not on God's word. God says, no, you, you, need, to, you need to push through this. Love one another. I know that person doesn't like you. I know they said me. I know, I know they sent you another email. I know they sent you another email. I know. You need to love them. Lord, I don't, I can delete them right now. No, you need to love them with brotherly affection. Lord, I just don't have that. But help me with that, please. I'll do one another in showing honor. Do we do that? Or do we just honor ourselves? Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Are you slothful in your zeal? Are you just walking around dragging with your head down all the time? Well, maybe it's because you're not actually serving the Lord. Because you're just serving yourself. And you just get full of junk and you feel terrible all the time. Instead of serving others and giving yourself away to others and giving things away to others and bringing others to the, to the church or bringing others into your community, into your little circle, and you're, and you're, you're, you're giving yourself away and there's zeal that comes from that. There's excitement that comes. There's a fervency in spirit that comes from that versus the slothfulness of just constant consumption and we're tired all the time. 
Because we're not, we're not giving ourselves, we're not serving the Lord. We're not. And those of you who are serving in faithful areas, thank you for doing that. I know, I know many of you and I know your hearts. And, um, but if you've been serving for a long time and your heart's not anymore, you just have to have a conversation. Just come talk to myself, one of the elders or your ministry leader, and, and just let's talk about your heart. Why is this so difficult now? What's missing here? Where's your joy for the Lord? And, and, we'll, and we'll work through that together. We're supposed to do that together. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Are we constant in prayer? Or just whenever we need to break the glass because there's an emergency, right? This is, so I was going to go to Colossians and Ephesians and other places, and um, maybe we'll come back to that. There's, there's, there's a lot there. If you can't find an application in something I said, then I'm sorry. Uh, we are his people. We are to be a holy people. And to do that, we are to live holy lives according to God's holy word. That's the only way that we can do that. And so be a people of the word. Be a people of prayer. Consider where your heart is. Consider how you see the church, the family of God. Any walls that you've built up, any resistance, any bitterness, any anger, you need to get rid of those things and put them away. And if you need help with that, we're here to help you with those things. So please come talk to me or someone else in the church who can pray with you today and help you kind of with your heart. That's where we want to be as worshipers of God. Let's pray as we... As we close. Father, we thank you for, for your word that you speak to us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit illuminates our minds to what you have, had, have inspired in your, in your scripture. Thank you, Lord, that you speak to the depths of our hearts and you know us completely and intimately. You've created us. And thank you that you love us with a steadfast, enduring love. Thank you that we are your treasured possession. We are a holy people. Because you are holy, and because of Christ's righteousness, we can live with you in unbroken fellowship for eternity. But until, until you come again, Lord Jesus, we are being sanctified, we are being made holy. And we all have, have work to do, we all have a, a long way to go, Lord. But thankfully, we don't have to do that by ourselves. You are with us always. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that speaks and encourages and edifies and exhorts us and helps us. Thank you for your, your church, your family, the bride of Christ the body of Christ, that we can come together, stirring one another up in love and good works, that we can do that together, Lord. We, we can't do this alone. And those of us who have been alone or trying to do this Christian life by ourselves, Lord, uh, forgive us, Lord Jesus, for that. We repent of our sin. We come back to you, thankful for the forgiveness you've provided on the cross. And we want to re-engage with our brothers and sisters in our church family. Father, help us to be connected. Help us to grow through service, not to serve because it earns us something, Lord, but to serve because it's pleasing to you. It's good for our hearts. It brings you glory in this world. Ultimately, we are ministers of reconciliation. We are, we are a priesthood of believers. We are to be um, sacrificing our lives, laying ourselves down for the sake of others. Thank you that you have provided every means for us to do that in your word. Help us to be a people of the book, Lord. We thank you for this morning. Encourage our hearts. Help us to go, Lord, in strength. I pray that you would speak to us this week. Show us just how to do this, Lord. Show us how, as we read your word, speak to us. We trust you and we're listening, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.